said, let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in God's image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, God created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of the earth, and every tree with its seed and its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that God had made, and indeed it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. A Kryptonian who crashed lands in rural Kansas. A billionaire who moonlights as a crime-fighting vigilante. A teenager who's bitten by a radioactive spider. A scientist who, when he gets angry, turns into a giant green monster. An Amazonian princess who's a defender of justice. Chances are you probably could have named all of those superheroes I just listed for you. And the reason is, is that superheroes are one of the biggest parts of pop culture. You know, Halloween is just a few weeks away, and pretty soon we're going to see kids dressed up as any number of superheroes. And I was uh, digging through the family photo albums this week, and I came across a couple of photos from my childhood. Uh, Doug, if you want to bring that first one up. Um, That's me in 1995. Um, (laughs) And then just a few years later, dressed up as my favorite superhero, uh, costume my mom knit for me, uh, Superman, and we'll get to him next week. Um, I'm showing you these at great personal embarrassment to myself, but uh, there you go. Uh, superheroes are part of, uh, we often associate them with our childhood. You know, there's a reason why we dress up as them at Halloween. We put them on our backpacks, our lunch ba- uh, lunchboxes. I, I remember when I was uh, in grade school, I had you know those little Valentine's cards that you hand out to your classmates? I, had, I always had Superman ones to hand out to my classmates. We as kids, we start to really uh, gravitate towards superheroes, and we uh, kind of begin to imagine ourselves as having superpowers. And I've watched my son, Axel, who's three and a half, uh, start to imagine himself now as having superpowers. He imagines himself having the power to freeze people and steam people now. So um, how that works at home is he'll stretch out his hand and he'll yell, freeze, and Heather and I have to stop whatever we're doing. And then, thank you, Alan, for freezing when I did it. <laughs> Axel would be so happy. Um, And then he'll yell, he'll stretch out the other hand and yell steam, and then Heather and I can get back to what we're doing. Uh, We love superheroes. It's part of our childhood. It's part of our culture. Um, Superheroes, I think, are not just an escape from reality. They're not just something that's fun. I think that superheroes have a certain level uh, of depth to them. They they tell us about who we are. They tell us about how we're supposed to interact in the world. Superheroes, I think, are sometimes ways that we process the things that are going on in the world around us. It's because they have that sort of depth to them. That's why I've chosen them for this year's uh, stewardship campaign. Uh, That over the next four weeks, we're going to look at four different superheroes. Uh, Today, as you could probably guess from the shirt that I'm wearing, we're going to look at Spider-Man. Then we'll move on to Superman and then to uh, Black Panther, which maybe is not the most familiar one to some of you. 
and then we'll go on to the Avengers. Um, I'm sorry if you had a favorite and didn't make the cut. Um, We could spend probably the entire year talking about superheroes, but I'm guessing four weeks is probably enough with superheroes. Um, And uh, if you're unfamiliar with some of those, I would actually encourage you to check some of them out, look some things up about them, especially with Black Panther. Black Panther, I think, is... um, his movie that came out in 2018 is still one of my favorite superhero movies uh, that's come out in recent years. It's really got a great depth to it. Someone called it a cultural moment more than just uh, a superhero movie. But the reason why I've picked these four superheroes is because I think that they are especially uh, able to speak to us on that theme of stewardship. Stewardship being that question of how are we using the things that God has given to us. And let me say too from the outset that I am not a connoisseur of superheroes. I'm not like an expert on any one particular superhero. Uh, I'm sort of a casual fan, uh, somebody who's enjoyed the recent explosion in superhero movies, the renewed interest in superheroes over the last uh, several years. And I'm also somebody who sees the possibility for a sermon series and a sermon's illustration in almost everything I watch and read. Um, (laughs) Heather and I, one of the things we've always enjoyed in our relationship is watching different movies. And uh, inevitably, during one of the movies we'll watch, I always lean over to her and say, you know, this would make a really great sermon illustration. One of the burdens of being married to a pastor. But um, superheroes, I think, are spiritual. They're theological. They have something to tell us about who we are as human beings, about uh, our relationship with God, and who we're called to be in light of all of that. So I think the next four weeks is going to be a lot of fun. I've been looking forward to this. I hope you all can enjoy the journey, even if you're not a big superhero fan. I hope this maybe would renew your interest in that sort of thing, and hopefully you can follow along even as we talk a little bit about superheroes. So uh, this morning we'll begin with Spider-Man. Spider-Man, or his alter ego, Peter Parker, is one of the most recognizable figures, not only within the superhero subgenre, but also one of the most recognizable figures in all of fiction. So Spider-Man and Peter Parker are one of the many creations of the late comic book writer, Uh, Stan Lee. And the fact that that Spider-Man became a household name is nothing short of a miracle. There's an article in Rolling Stone magazine that talks about how Spider-Man changed the world. And and when Spider-Man was first pitched in the early 1960s, nobody thought it would be a success. No one thought that anyone would resonate with it. A teenager who was bitten by a radioactive spider on a class field trip who undergoes changes to his DNA, who can climb walls, who has the speed and agility of a spider, who has precognition, which is known as his spidey sense, so he can sense when danger is coming from behind him. Some of our, some of our moms had spidey sense, right? <clears throat> uh, and then the ability to shoot webs out of his hands, although that's not a result from his DNA, uh, that's something that he created with his own scientific knowledge. But, but nobody thought that it would work. Uh, mostly because teenagers were not really featured in comics at that point. They were kind of off to the side in things like Jughead, you remember those comics, but not featured really in uh, superhero kinds of of comics. Um, But Spider-Man was everything that a superhero was not. Peter Parker was everything that a superhero was not. He was nerdy, he was neurotic, he was picked on in school. Uh, Stan Lee said he wanted to create the first realistic superhero, He liked the idea of creating a superhero who struggled with money the way that he did, or uh, who had relatives who were sick, or who was picked on in school. Superman really broke the mold when it came to comics, the superhero comics in general, because um, we cared just as much about Spider-Man when he was wearing the costume 
as when he was going about his everyday ordinary life as Peter Parker. He was very uh, relatable. And really, this was a whole new thing within the genre of comics because think about those famous ones, Superman and Batman. Uh, We care far more about what Superman and Batman are doing and far less about what Bruce Wayne and Clark Kent are doing. But with Spider-Man, we cared just as much about what Peter Parker was doing, that he was somebody that we could relate to, that he was somebody who struggled to pay the rent from time to time, somebody who was trying to figure his life out, didn't always innately know what to do, somebody who had a boss he didn't like. We know that feeling, right? Um, Peter Parker was somebody that we knew. Someone described him as being the superhero that we all know. And really, he could be anybody that we know. His mask, his, you can look up here at his mask, it, it covers his entire face, and he really could be anybody. He's always in this process of figuring out his life. He doesn't seem to innately know. And um, there's one writer who says, we kind of want him to grow up, to finally grow up, but he's never fully there. And it's true not only when he is Peter Parker going about his daily life, but it's also true when he is Spider-Man. That Spider-Man, as this superhero ego, doesn't always seem to know the right thing to do. He's, he struggles from time to time. Uh, it's believed that, that Spider-Man is the first superhero to fail when it comes to saving a loved one. Um, so when you think about superheroes, you think about them showing up at just the last moment, right? Somebody is dropped from some incredible height and the superhero swoops in right at the last possible second. But with Spider-Man, he fails when it comes to saving his girlfriend, Gwen Stacy. Gwen Stacy is taken by one of the the arch-villains, the Green Goblin, and Peter Parker, as Spider-Man, wearing the costume, fails to save her. And there was a lot of outrage, I guess, in the 1970s. I wasn't around then, but um, (coughs) what I read was that there was a lot of outrage in the 1970s when this happened because that's not what happens in superhero comics and superhero stories. The the hero always shows up. But again, Spider-Man is very relatable, very human. Uh, We all have failed in our lives, and how do we process that? And here is this, this hero who's having to process what it means to fail and the grief associated with that. And then, of course, there is that one event from Spider-Man's origin story that is incredibly important to who Spider-Man is. Um, So Spider-Man is raised by his Uncle Ben and his Aunt May. And the reason for that is because Peter Parker is an orphan. His parents died in a plane crash. Um, Almost every hero, I think, has some element of tragedy in their backstory. Uh, But Peter is raised by his Uncle Ben and his Aunt May, and they really are parental figures for him. They, They raise him, they love him, they instill values into him. Uh, But then after Peter is bitten by the radioactive spider, his first instinct is not to become the crime-fighting superhero. His first instinct is to go and to become a famous television wrestler, to make himself wealthy and famous. And so after one of his television appearances, there's a, a, a burglar who's running away from a security guard, and Peter doesn't intervene. Um, And he goes back home, and when he gets home, uh, he finds out that his Uncle Ben had been killed by a burglar. And so Peter, in a rage, puts the the costume, the Spider-Man costume, back on. He swings off to go catch the burglar, and when he gets there, he finds out it was the burglar he could have stopped. This element of tragedy that informs his own identity. And so in the comic books, as he's sitting there dealing with that grief and that sense of loss, the narrator speaks and says that this is at the moment where Spider-Man realizes 
with great power comes great responsibility. With great power comes great responsibility. Spider-Man, the character that we all know and love, is this character who doesn't seem to innately know what to do with his power, but is sort of always in this process of having to figure it out, to process that phrase, that, that question, am I being responsible with the power that I've been given? With great power comes great responsibility. The current writer for the Spider-Man series says that it's so uh, pervasive and such a powerful phrase that you could form an entire religion around it. Such a pervasive and powerful phrase, you could form an entire stewardship series around it, put it, it on the, the privacy screen for the choir. <laughs> With great power comes great responsibility. It is an incredibly theological statement. And it's a statement that I think is found right there in the opening chapter of the book of Genesis, right there in that first creation account. Because remember, there's two creation accounts. There's Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, and uh, we, should be, we shouldn't be too quick to, to smash them together and make them into one cohesive whole. We should respect the different angles on theology that they offer to us. But we're in that first creation account here this morning. And that first creation account is sort of like a poem. It's this beautiful work of art. Someone, some, one commentator says that it says that God saw seven different times in that opening poem. It's almost as if God is, is like a composer who is finding joy in the rising melody of his composition. It's as if, as if God was a, a poet that's mesmerized by a turn of phrase. It's as if God is an artist being drawn in by what God is creating. You could almost imagine God being a comic book creator in that first creation account. This world that is being created from the depth of God's imagination. And what God needs to create this world is not pencils or, or pens or markers or easels or anything like that. All that God needs to create is God's own voice. As God speaks, creation begins to form. Creation begins to, to emerge. As God speaks, light and darkness are separated. As, as God speaks, the waters and the dry lands are, are put apart. As God speaks, that the sun illuminates the morning and the daytime and the moon and the stars illuminate softly illuminates the evening. As God speaks, mountains and rivers and oceans and forests begin to form. As God speaks, there are numerous creatures that fly across the sky and numerous sea monsters that end up deep in the oceans, monsters that we're still figuring out and finding to this day. Have you seen some of those creatures that swim around in the very darkest parts of the ocean? God, as God speaks, animals and creeping things, it said creeping a lot in that passage, and creeping things begin to creep across the earth. And as God speaks, creation is almost finished. It's almost complete, but there's something that's missing, a little touch of the artist in that created world. And so God speaks one more time and says, let us make human beings in our own image. Male and female are created in that moment, and we are in that same moment, and we are the image-bearing creations of God a little reflection of God in the world, the signature of the artist in the world that God has made. You know, one of the things that was really fun about the, the Marvel movies before Stan Lee died, um, he created all of the innumerable numbers of the Marvel characters. Um, and uh, he would always show up as a cameo in the movies of the characters that he created. And uh, never this credited appearance, it was really brief, but all the real fans knew that it was Stan Lee. This little cameo appearance. And 
And we as the image-bearing creations of God are sort of these little cameo appearances of God in the story that God has created. This world that God makes is vibrant, it's abundant, it's beautiful. Um, There are no shortage of good things in the world that God has created. God is not stingy. But the world that God creates is from that overflow of God's love and grace and goodness. And God sets us into this world. And God gives us an incredible amount of power. He says, the earth is yours. God sort of just hands us the keys and says, this is yours. Do with it what you will. Rule over it and have dominion over it. And and what's amazing to me is that God doesn't really tell us what that means. We don't seemingly innately know what we're supposed to do with the power that God has given us within this abundant, vibrant creation. But we, like Spider-Man, are always in this process of figuring out what it means to use the power, the good things of God that are in our very lives. And the human story, I think, is one of us sometimes stumbling. There's a, a messy quality to it, that we have not always used our power responsibly. That those words rule and have dominion over that we've translated into English. The human story, I think, is sometimes one of how we have taken that to mean that we're to exploit the good things of God for our own benefit, that we are to exploit other people, that we are to to take more than we need from God's abundant creation because we are afraid of not having enough. When what our faith has told us is that what it means to be faithful, responsible with the power that God has given us is to be loving and just and generous with the good things of God that have flowed into our lives that we have not always known, but we are always in this process of figuring out what it means to have power with the good things of God that have flowed into our lives. With great power comes great responsibility. And I think our whole lives are a question of stewardship. What are we doing with the good things that God has poured into our lives? And stewardship is often a question that surrounds church finances, and necessarily so. Uh, We have to talk about church finances. And what should be, be obvious to us on the other side of our visioning summit last week is that this is a church that is filled with good things, innumerable good things. And some of those good things are finances. What are we doing with the things that God has given us, those financial resources that God has given us? And uh, I know in this time in our national history and all of this stuff that we have inflation and high cost of living and all of us are anxious about what we have and we're anxious about the church budget and what all of that's going to look like. And I, and I share in some of that anxiety. But what I try to remember in those moments is that there is an abundant God who has given us more than enough. That with God, there is no shortage of good things. So what are we doing with the good things that God has given us? We have to ask that question financially. What are we doing with the financial resources in our lives? What are we doing with the financial resources we have as a church? It's an important question because all of you make this possible, that your financial contributions are what make it possible to have a a place to worship on Sundays. You're what makes it possible for us to reach out to the community. You're what makes it possible to minister and care and give a place of belonging to our kids. That great power comes great responsibility. 
But I would also be remiss if I limited stewardship simply to a question of finances, simply to that one time a year where the pastor gets up and talks about money for four weeks. Because I think that stewardship is always so much bigger than that. It is a question about what are we doing with all of the good things in our lives? What are we doing with our time and our talent? What are we, what are we doing with the, the good things that God has given us, that power that we have? And what are we doing with the love that we have, love that makes it possible to serve those who come in here for a funeral, who need a place for a funeral luncheon? What are we, we doing with the, with the care and the compassion we have that reaches out to a hungry and a hurting world? All of these are questions of stewardship because all of us have power. All of us have the, the good things of God in our lives. The power we have may not be from a radioactive spider, it may not be the ability to climb a wall or to have precognition spidey sense, but it is power nevertheless. It is the good things of God, the abundance of God that has flowed into our lives. And the question that Spider-Man asks us is, are we being responsible with the power that we have been given? Because as he realizes, and as we all have to realize as we process the, the good things of God in our lives, is that with that great power comes great responsibility. Thanks be to God. Amen.